So everybody wanted a pre-show banner. This is this is a the pre-show banner for right now. Yeah, we'll wait for people to show up. Everybody's maybe, everybody's still in meetings, and um, so maybe we'll cure them of their desire for pre-show banter at this rate. John, did you uh, are you in the witness protection program or <laughs> did you Why? just do a new office? So I've got this problem. I have these uh, these nice like pictures and stuff, and they keep falling off my damn wall. So. That's not working. Now I have wow. something interesting in the background. Maybe that helps a little bit. Um, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> it looks really weird uh, with the way the camera goes. It's like strange. I like that. You sheetrock anchors. Like no idea what the problem is. It's just solution. Um, no, <laughs> what it is, the back of these, the back of these, these. So these are paintings that were done for Wild West Hacking Fest. These are the originals. And the back is this fabric, is this uh, it's almost like a very thick cardboard and nothing sticks to it. It just comes off. And if you, if you anchor into it with these little clippy things, they like tear out all the time. So it's just a pain in the ass, basically. No, John, see what, down. what they meant was to just screw the drywall anchors through the painting directly. Okay. Through the front. Okay. Now, if we're going to talk about just throwing sheetrock screws through, that is a fantastic <laughs> idea. So we'll see. What's what's another painting I have that I can throw up that actually doesn't fall over? So let me show you a couple of others. Here we go. Um, that one falls. Here we go. I'll throw this one up. The first Wild West Hacking Fest speaker lineup. You're going to have to nice. enhance that quite a bit. I know, I know, but it looks like something. Zoom, <laughs> you know? If you have a 4K stream, everyone can zoom and enhance that. You know what? I, should we do Polish movie posters? We could do that, folks. How about that? Those are you always want? fun. All right, let me go grab a pole. How much wall do you have? Well, he likes to climb them, so it must be pretty big. <laughs> People telling John Strand how to mount things on the wall when he's hanging on something that's mounted on the wall. <laughs> there we go. How's Howard the Duck? Nice. So we, got, that's we got Howard fantastic. the Duck. So now it doesn't look like I'm on a witness relocation program. So It doesn't look like it, but we know you are. White Cyber Duck. I like the duck. Good call. That's the original white cyber or white yeah. Polish cyber duck. Hello and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security talking about news. My name is John Strand coming at you from an undisclosed location. In this particular edition of June 19th, we have a number of interesting stories. A fake zero-day proof of concept exploits. We have Reddit compromises. Um, we have data breach investigations report. We have, um, uh, uh, what else? Uh, hmm. Oh, yeah. The Move It attack nailing a whole bunch of government organizations as well. Chinese hackers going after VMware zero days. I don't know if we have Ralph on, but we can talk about that. 80 gigabyte of confidential data stolen from Reddit. It's actually an all joking aside. There is a lot going on. I am joined today, of course, by the illustrious cast of Talking About News. We have Ryan, who makes us look good, sound good, and feel good. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? I'm all right. I'm feeling okay. <laughs> so he's just okay. <laughs> I am joined by Carrie, who is our instructor for adversarial emulation, atomic red team queen or princess. Do you want to go by queen or princess, Carrie? Unicorn. Huh? 
unicorn. unicorn. Unicorn it is. Done. Speaking of unicorns and princesses, we are also joined by Alex. <laughs> Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, John. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you appear to have a Mandalorian behind you. I, yeah. Now, was he a bad Mandalorian? Because it looks like like he's hanging. Like, uh, like life wasn't good for that Mandalorian. And yeah, he's, he's, I, looks he's, like he's slumming it. He's just kind of down into his uh, his sweatpants and hoodie. That's good. It looks the like one of those and... good and evil angel things that sit on your shoulders. That's what yes. it looks like. Yes, I, I can like that. And we are also joined by Spam.Zip. Corey is with us as well. How are you doing, sir? Oh, doing great. I'm about Aren't to you... go on vacation. So I'm, I was going to say, my what, last are you, show what are you for doing for vacation? Anything like super awesome? Oh, just mountain biking on Vancouver Island. Nothing crazy, you know. No big whoop. No, no big, big whoop. whoop. Just the best mountain biking in the world. It's fine. I'm going to I'm gonna try to beat you while you're on vacation for total miles. Um, that's, that's my goal. <laughs> well, so, total miles, if you're doing 5-0 training, you're definitely going to beat me. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. We'll see. All right, so let's jump into the first story that I have up here, and I didn't send it to Ryan, but Ryan mentioned it, so I want to throw that in the lurch. Um, apparently, ransomware attackers are basically threatening to leak 80 gig of confidential data stolen from Reddit. At this point, whenever we're dealing with PR and Reddit, can Reddit go any lower? Um, so, th yeah, this ahead. is a previous hack. This is this data was hacked back in February, I believe, and there was a whole uh, you know debrief where they talked about what it was. It seems like it. They, according to Reddit, it was mostly like business documents, internal corporate stuff, internal code, uh, internal documents, and maybe they said like user logins appear to be safe. I don't know. Eighty gigabytes zipped is. A not lot. much. Well, I was going to say not much for well, it Reddit. Depends I mean, on what it is. If it's if it's cat pics, it's it's you know too not much. a lot, right? Yeah, I, that's who knows. I mean, I think basically not reading into this too much. I think it's just the original attackers were like, we've had this data since February. Now Reddit is a dumpster fire. So let's you know jump on the bandwagon of stomping on the dead horse. But I seriously think from Reddit's perspective, this is the best time because everyone hates them with their third party <laughs> API policy. It's like it can't get any worse. No, no, what are they going to hate us more? What yeah. would be really great is if they go completely meta on us because right now all of the subreddits are nothing but like John Oliver fan sites. And I don't know if you don't know this, that's one of the ways they're protesting is like every Reddit thing is pictures of John Oliver. Not just pictures of John Oliver, sexy pictures. Of that's, John Oliver. That is correct, John. You are 100% correct. And uh, it'll be great to find out one, um, you know what happens uh after all of this stuff with reddit and uh two uh yeah everyone's already mad at them i can't wait for the last week tonight that john oliver talks about what's happening at reddit they still on strike isn't that what I, oh i guess well, it's writer's right. strike. yeah but, the writer's strike has got yeah. that tied down yeah no, I, I, can't, I can't wait for some ai out there to just absorb the reddit training data and just start responding to questions with pictures of john oliver I was just going to learn from this and go, I, I, I scrape Reddit for the answer, and the answer is John Oliver. So. <laughs> I mean, we, we've talked about it a bunch, and I think last week we brought up, you know, maybe Reddit's going to start, I guess, annexing these subreddits, basically being like, you no longer have control, uh, we're taking this back, and we're going to run this as, you know, Reddit first instead of, you know, community first. So if that starts happening, it'll be interesting to see how people react, but I can't, you know... I can't imagine them running on purely like Reddit supported moderation. I just can't imagine it maybe with enough AI, but I feel like 
the community is so crucial to Reddit's function that if the community is against them, they're never going to succeed. But I mean, that's literally their whole business model, right? Is their community, right? And if you, if your strategy from a corporate perspective is pissing off your community even more, that seems, I don't know, as much as I see people trying it with like Elon Musk and the guy at Reddit whose name I can't remember. I just remember he looks like he's 12. Spez. Yeah. Steve Spez. Hoffman or Steve Hoffman or... <laughs> They, they they not understand what they're what they're doing here. Well, uh, but I'm it's sh- interesting because they're calling people's bluff. The people the, they're basically saying like, "Will you keep going to Reddit?" And I will say like, honestly, for me, it's been hard to not just keep going, even though like you know, there's all the protests and stuff because it's just such an addiction. Where I'm like, I want the cat pics, I want the memes, I want the and infinite I, scroll. The infinite I want scroll. the infinite scroll. It's like I'm addicted to it, and Reddit has forced me to call that bluff. It's so it's kind of funny. Like I, on some level, I get it where they're just like you know what we don't care we're gonna get we're gonna let people you know we're gonna call their bluff and people say oh we're not gonna go to reddit if you do this well maybe they still will because they know they have that addiction same with twitter right i mean we know ad buys are down and all that stuff but i I think it's funny banjo crashland our content community director just put in said i'd get lots of trouble if i started pissing off the bhis community so he still gets it and that makes me feel a lot better yeah but but jason is about 10 times more qualified to be the ceo of reddit than the actual ceo of reddit don't tell them they'll take him because right now i'm willing to bet they're looking for a replacement (laughs) nice i don't know i don't think they are to be honest like all of everything that that uh the ceo of reddit has said and done screams to me this is what the investors are telling me i need to do to ipo they can agree Yep. Yeah. You yeah. you need to go strangle fifteen squirrels on a Twitch stream. He's like, all right, man. Whatever you whatever you need. No. It's fine. Do we all? Do we all? And I want to ask this because this is something that's been happening in the security community, where a number of different firms um, are laying off people. And you know, Griffin Infosec is saying it's all about the money and all those. And so my question is, whenever we see these types of crazy shenanigans that make no sense. It, do we really believe that it's them trying to appease the investors, or is it an ego that's gone out of control? Are these not the same? I well, I, I, I so don't know. I my think take it's prime it, movers, right? Like, what is the first thing like that causes yes. this to happen? I I think it's honestly that like it, they want to get rich, and this is how <laughs> he sees his l- most likely pathway to getting rich. It's like you know he's he's been running this multi billion dollar social media company or or whatever you want to call reddit social aggregation and he hasn't gotten rich and you know what it's time for him to own 93 percent of hawaii and have a yacht like it that's i think genuinely the ego driver behind a lot of this but i don't know so you think ego? see i i think it's investors i think that i i agree with what ian said is i think what and, and let's 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 swing this over to the security side right there's been a number of uh pen testing firms and other firms I probably have some legitimate reasons uh, for this year has been an absolute crazy year with contract signings. And I could speak to that a little bit um, as we go through. But, you know, there, there are some firms out there that are very substantial, very, very large firms that are laying people off. And there's a bunch of people in the industry that are just like, you know, this makes no sense. Uh, you know, I'll pick on Optive, I guess, is one that I can name, I think, safely. Did they need to lay people off, or is that something that's being done just to prove that they have the capability to lay people off? So the shareholders and the investors are like, "Oh, that middle management—they're willing to hurt people uh, for the bottom line." I feel like it's yeah. I, I feel like it's just uh, 
it's funny because it's just churns. The, 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 the same talent pool just churns either back to the same company or back to another company. But I, I will say a lot of these companies, you know, Bishop Fox is another one that laid a lot of people off. Oh, Bishop They're, Fox did? I didn't hear yeah. that. Yeah. yeah that, and that was a couple months ago. Yeah. They laid off like, was it 12% or 22%? It was a decent chunk of people. And they How never say the who. Hell? Bishop Fox is a really good firm, though. Yeah. That was kind but, of the same reaction everybody had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I and I I genu- and so is Google. Google's a good firm. Microsoft like yeah. Microsoft's a good firm. I mean Twitter, maybe not. But basically, I think a lot of this and genuinely as a smaller company, I think we have to look at it as a win. It's just a, our ability to say, "Hey, we'll do work from home forever. We won't do random layoffs. Come work for us. Maybe it's a little bit less than your original salary at Google because we don't have that kind of money. But yeah. you know, and I, that's what companies are companies are scooping up that talent. There's still negative unemployment in tech. There's still like two percent yep. negative unemployment. So it's not like there's you know not work to do. It's just that companies are like, we want to increase our stock price and look good. Bam. Yeah. You know that's so whatever. But, but you know. We, <laughs> You know, I, I kind of feel like I'm on, uh, what was it, dodgeball, where like, you know, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for them. Because I, I, I feel, honestly, if the, you have these 22% layoffs across the board in a lot of these scenarios, and especially in offensive stuff, right? It, it's like, it's hard to get that talent pool back. And it takes time to build that talent pool up as well. So, it, it, I don't know. It seems seems counterintuitive at some point. I think yeah. a lot of it goes back to, and this is why I said, aren't those the same thing, right? Yeah. It's 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 ego, absolutely. But I think what happens is that ego gets developed around the like investor class and finance class of, well, I haven't been affected by any of these things. And look, my, my balance portfolio has only gone up. So, I mean, we're good. But to speak specifically to the problem that, that you're, you're talking about with the investors and companies that maybe have cut stuff short we think way too much in quarters and the next quarter doesn't matter the next year doesn't matter we'll solve that problem when we do it we have to show extreme shareholder value this quarter um i may or may not have been working on an osin target over the weekend where i read way too many uh 10ks 8ks and 10qs which are sec filings for this company and that's all they think about that's it. It's how yeah. do we maximize profit this quarter because that is all the street cares about and that's all the investors care about even if they're not public yet. They, What's the quote that you bring you brought into BHIS? Show me how someone's measured and what was that again? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a uh not a, a Stephen Covey quote and it's yeah. you tell me how someone is uh, sorry, you show me how someone is measured and I'll tell you how they'll behave. And it has to do with the whole concept of perverse incentives and and whatnot. And an even kind of better quote around it, or kind of stranger, which is what we're all about, uh, is I think it was in New Orleans when they had a rat problem. This was many, many years ago. It was in France or New Orleans. I can't remember. But if you look it up, it's the the rat tail problem. And basically what they said was, we got a rat problem. If you kill a rat, we'll give you five cents. And back then, that was a lot of money. So you say, we'll give you five cents. But we don't need to bring us the whole rat. Just bring us the tail. So what ended up happening was folks would go, cool, and they started raising rats and cutting off their tails because that was easy and that got them money, right? And that's where we're at. We're just going through and saying, I'm going to raise a bunch of rats and I'm going to cut them off because they get money now. Does yeah. that cause a massive rat problem down the road? Absolutely, but who cares, right? Yeah. Unintended consequences. Like you got that. it. Cool. 
All right, let's go on to um, another story. And I'm waiting for Ralph. I don't think Ralph's going to make it, and that's fine. Do we want to talk about the Move It mass attacks? Yes. I want to talk about Move It. I've specifically been watching the ransomware page for them and just kind of, it's giving me lots of good laughs. Um, So, you know, like they're just like, we have delete all government data. Thank you. Bye. We offer penetration testing. Like, <laughs> it's so good. Um, like, they're, they're basically like, you have been penetration tested. Do not resist. It's your fault that you had unsecure servers. And like, it's, it's just bad. Um, but I, they are leaking data. I mean, the, the list is maybe 40 strong at this point of companies they've posted. And I'm kind of just keeping an eye on it to see what else they end up posting. They haven't posted any government data. And they say they deleted all the government data, but now there know. is some there are some people that saying that Klopp is specifically not targeting government. Agencies. Yes, they, they yes they self proclaim this on their webpage. It specifically says we don't target governments, we don't target well, hospitals, which is just like funny. I mean, they're just like we have standards, but they're not like oh, it's your it's still your fault, and we're leaking all your data. It's just such a weird, and and so to tie in with that. The U.S. government put a ten million dollar bounty on their heads. So yes, that yeah, is one of those stories as well. Yeah, and I think it was our friend Jake Williams that said this was just about worrying about uh, warheads on foreheads. I think is how he phrased it. Uh, yeah. So it's less about honor and more just yeah, they just don't want to get have bounties collected. Reference to the Mandalorian behind me, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, you don't want to make the wrong people angry. That's pretty standard in any social circle or the internet or you know geopolitics you don't want to make the wrong people angry and if you make the people with eyes in the sky everywhere in the world angry then (laughs) you have problems versus i guess a company like shell or another company you know these are big companies and honestly we learned a little bit from the uber hack that a lot of these companies do might i I don't know if i'd want to mess with shell i feel like they're big enough they might have their own like their their own rendition team (laughs) their like, own yeah be- genuinely because we know that uber like osinted the person that did the hack went to their house and made them sign a document an nda so like if if shell you know they have 232 billion dollars or whatever i'm pretty they, sure they can find these people <laughs> like yeah. i don't know maybe not but yeah i remember you know this kind of ties and i think i may have mentioned it in previous editions of the show i I had a financial organization in Southeast Asia that were like, yeah, we have these people that hacked in and we want to do cyber deception and attribution to try to find them. I'm like, great. Are you coordinating with like Interpol or law enforcement? And they were like, they were shocked that I asked that question. And they were like, no, no, we'll, we'll take care of it internally. And I'm like, oh dear God, it stays in the family, John. You don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's so, oh, it's, I don't know. I mean, obviously, they're probably state backed. They're probably state backed in Russia. And, you know, they can never leave. That gets into something, you know, I saw a couple of articles talking about it, where they're like, oh, we're not targeting, you know, US institutions. But at the same time, you can bet that they're handing that access off to FSB and all that, right? I mean, we all know that that's happening just because they're not ransomwareing it. And it goes back to Jake, you know, they don't want warheads on targets. Yeah, just because they're not ransoming these organizations doesn't mean they're not breaking into these organizations that access is getting sent over. Correct. Exactly. And even if they aren't necessarily state-backed, the Russian state is getting the data one way or the other. That's just a fact. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, Carrie, I wanted to ask you about this because I, I, I... 
I, I think that there's too much lost on the exploit, right? Like the initial access. And we're going to talk about a VMware zero day Chinese we're going after. And, you know, one of the things in your class that you talk about is it isn't just about that initial access. It isn't just about that initial exploit, but everything that comes after. And, you know, kind of like if you were sitting down with a company and they said, how do we prepare for something like this? Kind of what would be your take and how you would approach that? Yeah, so I have an analogy when it comes to preparing for attacks and prioritizing attacks. I'm really tend to lean towards action as fast as possible. So if somebody wants me to say, uh, let's let's consider all the risk and all all the attacks that are happening and let's let's spend a couple months prioritizing, I would tend to say, let's just emulate as much as we can, as quick as we can, and patch any holes that we find. And by the end of what that, what you mean by hole isn't like a vulnerability, like a missing patch. It's like a missing detection capability, right? Yeah, a detection okay. capability or a prevention capability. So in that two months that we could be off, like analyzing stuff, we could take instead take tools like the MITRE attack framework that have laid out this whole matrix of here's things attackers do in this category, in this category, in this category, in this category. And true that some of those techniques in that matrix are more important than other techniques, maybe use more, maybe more powerful. But there are many techniques in there that are really easy to prepare against if we know that we need to make improvements. So if we emulate that and find that we have a gap that we can prevent and detect. And it's like, to me, I think of it as we're laying landmines. So we're trying to protect the castle and we've got all this land around our castle and we want to make sure someone can't an enemy can't get to our castle, you know, we could analyze, you know, the things like they're going to go this route or this route, or we could just as quick as possible, we could lay landmines all over. And with each landmine, reduce the chance that they're likely to get all the way through. They might be able to take one step, two step, three steps. Um, but through attack emulation, we can find out all the, all the paths that the attackers might go. And we booby trap all those paths and just really quickly reduce the possibility that they're ever going to make it to the castle and so and I, I, a very hands-on way of going about it so i wanted to ask you so like one of the problems that i see a lot of organizations whenever they approach like the miter attack technique matrix is they try to look at it and they try to you know uh, bryson calls it bingo like miter attack bingo do you know of anything that anybody has done like a post-exploitation heat map and what i mean by that is i did a poll out on twitter i think last year where I said, post-exploitation, what are your opening moves? Like in chess, right? Like you have Sicilian defense and Sicilian decline and all these different things. And you basically say, okay, the first opening steps are going to be these following moves. And almost universally, it was like, you know, attacking tickets. It was uh, using Bloodhound. It was doing internal password sprays. But it was really like four or five things. Do we have any kind of like heat map that says, look, this, this is like what we see the attackers do, like you can look at the entirety of the MITRE attack technique matrix, but these five things, they almost always open up with these five things or they're used far more in a percentage perspective than other techniques that are out there. Has anyone done that type of heat map yet? Well, a MITRE just recently has developed a project which they call MITRE attack flows. And so it is really to address this question. So they will take a technique and they'll say, if somebody, when attackers 
do this one technique, there's a 90% chance they're going to go here next. And if they go there, they're going to go here. So they're making these pass through the miter attack matrix and showing us the likelihood that if one thing happens, what the next thing is going to be. And that's called miter attack flows. And it's, of course, lays perfectly on type, top of everything we know about miter attack and the matrix. And people are starting to publish these flows based on their research. And you can publish your own internal flow. So you can use this open source flow um, kind of logging mechanism or recording mechanism to do your own internal flows with the data you have internally. But also we can share flows and learn from flows. And I think that will help with that kind of thing. Cool. That's really cool. I'm trying to see, you know, you can see that you can build your own flows. They got some example flows and those different things. Um, but yeah, hoping that doesn't look like it's working. It says choose the navigator. Maybe it's just, just me. So one of the things that we talked about also internally at BHIS was how would you prepare or test this with the penetration test? Because obviously, from for the most part, when we're talking about penetration tests, zero days are out of scope. So it's not like we would have scanned your network and saw that, oh, you have the move it vulnerability, because by the time anyone knew it was a vulnerability, it was already exploited and the data was gone. So I think basically from our perspective, penetration testing, the two ways to test this would be one, confirm that you have logging from other attacks targeting the server. So running manual web application uh, testing or running scanning against these hosts and confirming that you have logging and that you have you know data collection coming from your MoveIt servers. And then also potentially going the route of an assumed compromise on these servers. So giving us credentials to access the FTP uh, environment or credentials to access the web environment, seeing what we can do, what we can't do, and then going even as far as, you know, on the backend server to provide us with, uh, you know, some kind of shell. But I yeah, think... that's one, one thing ahead. I really like about what Black Hills does is that in, a, as, in addition to, I guess, the pen test, they have this pivot test, which is your assumed breach. So I really like the idea that maybe you want to catch that thing, that initial access thing, because it could be a zero day that nobody can prepare for. So some, somebody gets access and then what you want to be, make sure you're prepared for that. And then what, and that's what John has just been asking about. So like, let's say, you know, we have somebody who's gotten initial access. Let's, let's look at what they're most likely to do next and prepare for those. Well, and, yeah. and I kind of, I kind of see a big change in the way pen testing is happening, right? You know, for years it was, we're going to run, a, we're going to, well, let's go way, way, way back. Um, before we had vulnerability scanners, a lot of what we do is we'd run Nmap, which I think was released in 1997. You would identify particular services, you would identify banners using Netcat, then you would go look up on PacketStorm if there was an exploit for that version, you did it all manually. And well, we didn't call it pen tests back then, but then we had vulnerability scanners where we had Satan and Sarah first came out, and then you had Nessus, which of course just dominated from no. And I remember there was a lot of people that were like, well, this is the end of pen testing. Uh, we're, we're done now. Uh, there's no need to exploit anything. We could just do vulnerability analysis and we can fix everything. Um, and in some ways they were right, right? Like the entire world of pen testing completely and utterly changed in the matter of like a few months, whenever Nessus got amazing popularity and, uh, and it took off. It didn't mean that it was done. It just means that that iteration of the way things were done was absolutely over, Right. And then with uh, like vulnerability analysis and what we've been doing for years, that's kind of the way things work 
Then we started getting into assumed compromise assessments, like the stuff that Carrie teaches in her class. And uh, Carrie, I don't know about you, but I am really surprised that it has taken like Nessus or it's taken Tenable and a lot of these different companies as long as it's taken them to get into the like you know the attack simulation space, right? I, I don't know what your take on that is because, I mean, when you first started writing this class years ago. There was part of me that's like all of their vulnerability scanners that are out there, whether you're Qualys, whether you're Rapid7, whether you're Tenable, they're going to be doing this here shortly. And it took them like the better part of a decade to start implementing this type of post-exploitation analysis into their workflow. And even now, they're not as good as some of the open source tools out there. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I see the whole pen testing world is changing again. Like the way that we do internal compromise assessments, post-exploitation is going to radically evolve over the next few years. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a change. But are you at all surprised, like, you know, getting the big players into doing this has taken them this long? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised it isn't bigger than it is because it makes so much sense to do this, to emulate the attacks and to see in real life, you know, not have to believe uh, an advertisement for a company, but we could check for ourselves how prepared we are. And I, I especially have a... a warped opinion about it because i teach classes about attack emulation so i talk to people who at least have an interest in the idea of attack emulation and then i we talk a lot about what it is and how to do it and people get really excited and really buy into this idea so even on top of my initial surprise that it isn't bigger already you know i really <laughs> fuel that by talking to people who have a slight interest who learn more about it and say yeah this is definitely the way to go and, you know, like I said, looking forward, you know, Corey, I know that we've talked about it quite a bit, like the traditional bypass EDR, get on a workstation and move laterally. I don't know how much longer we have in an industry that's going to be doing that. Um, we can talk about some of the stealer malware, which we can get to later on in the show. Uh, some of the stealers that are out there that are trying to steal crypto keys that are trying to go after passwords for cloud sites and things of that nature. But it is going to change. But I wanted to bring in Alex and his Mandalorian. Um, and kind of get his opinion because he's been awful quiet. So, oh, just for the evolution of like pen testing, yeah. Yep. But, I yep. mean, pen testing is it's going to keep you know moving forward. Uh, and I think you know with all the things that come out, especially when you know there's references to AI, all these new testing things. You know, I think a lot of times it's just like you know whenever any new adventure comes out, it doesn't erase what's being done. Uh, just like a graphing calculator comes out, you don't go, okay, well, structural engineers pack it up, we're not going to be needed to design bridges anymore. No, they can design better bridges and get, and just accelerate further into, uh, you know, what they're able to do. You know, that, yeah, when you said, you know, Nessus, you know, change, you know, change the game and everybody thought pen testing was done. No, Nessus is now like a step zero to a lot of things for the, the pen testing uh, and, and get you know, able to go, go deeper and quicker. Well, and, and it, yeah, like kind of spreading things around, but Corey, I, th I think if we look at the complexity, I think that it's a good thing. I mean, don't you? I mean, if we look at adversarial emulation, kind of like what Carrie is teaching and some vendors are starting to do, for the love of God, we're getting to the point where a standard engagement, it's very, very difficult for a pen testing firm to hit everything, right? Yes. Um, it and is very, very yeah. difficult. And there's shit that we're not even touching where we're dealing with like cloud and infrastructure as a service and all of this stuff as well. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly what we try to do you know, as a company is try to change our tactics as things evolve to match the most realistic scenarios we can. So like specifically how we're addressing this kind of thing, which is, I guess you could call it the zero day fear 
is we're considering adding assumed compromise to the external phases of all of our red teams and other you know longer engagements. So instead of just oh let's go assume compromise on the internal side, let's run a payload on an internal server. Let's do you make us an account, whether it's a domain account or an SFTP account like a vendor. Let's make an account that we can abuse from the outside and see what that exposure is. Because obviously the inside at most companies is a lot softer, but the outside is targeted much more. And a lot of the times, SOCs or other entities, they just throw away a lot of the external side. And so this is a great example of, if you can't prove to me that you have detections on your SFTP server for password guessing, you have brute force prevention, do you have a WAF, do you have EDR, do you have those four checkboxes hit on your SFTP server? If you do, you're much less likely to get hit by something like a move it than you are if you have no EDR because it's cloud-based, you have no uh, logging because it's cloud-based, you have no, you know, like it's, you know, that kind of thing is just worth even thinking about. And if we don't have access to log in and test it, we're never going to be able to have that conversation. And I will say, I do not, I do want to say explicitly that I don't think that the attack emulation can ever replace a penetration test. I think it's just a different, you know, it's a different approach. It's a totally different, well, but it's, it's not it, but that it, one is, yeah. But it's like that automation, right? It's like the vulnerability assessment. I don't know yeah, how many exactly. people are old enough to remember, but literally we had people saying, we have Nessus, <laughs> we're done, right? We don't need pen testing anymore. Why would you need to do that? And I, I think it was good in the long run, right? Because it, the level of complexity in IT kept growing, kind of like what Alex has talked about too, where the level of complexity keeps growing. And literally the only way that we can keep up as offensive security people is by utilizing this automation. Where I look at adversarial emulation is just part of that, right? The attack surface in Active Directory is so vast, it's getting to the point where it's almost impossible to manually go through and test all of those things. And these automation tools assist that. And it also allows us to start focusing on the things where we're more than likely going to have these misconfigurations that exist in like cloud services and web apps and APIs and mobile stuff uh, that we seem to be getting more and more testing associated with. So I agree. It's, it, doesn't, it absolutely does not replace a pen test. And of course, companies like Pentera like to say that, right? And they're liars. And that's fine. That's their marketing associated with it. But at the same time, these are the tools that are absolutely going to become essential over the next five years to just deal with that massive uh, massive complexity that we're going to be running through. Yes, you have standards and then you have implementation, right? So you have yeah. RFC, whatever, and then you have email, how that actually works. It right. doesn't follow all the RFCs. That's exactly how real attacks are with MITRE attack. You have huge chunks of MITRE attack that are either very subjective to, like example, web applications. I think there's like one, you know, there's a huge world of web applications that aren't really covered in MITRE attack or, yeah. you know, is this valid accounts or is it, you know, post exploitation using, you know, stolen accounts? It's kind of subjective how you apply it. And it's also the best, most advanced attacks are not going to fall within this. They're like, they're going, but it's still a very useful standard to build off of when you're doing a penetration test or an adversary emulation or building a SOC or whatever you're doing. We need these standards to start with, but then you also have to think beyond the standards. Like, well, and, that, and that's and that how gets, every technical thing is, right? And that kind of gets into like what Vinny Liu has been talking about quite a bit on Twitter. And like, I love Vinny and, and what he's contributed over the years. I disagree with him on this point, but he's like having a pen tester just get assumed access is crazy. And I, and I think it 
like people, I think that that is a valid point, right? Like, why would you give your attacker, your pen tester access to the environment? That means that they just suck. But whenever you're looking at the economics of like, how much money does it take to actually develop a fold to zero day? How much time does it take? You know, Corey, with our continuous pen testing that we do at BHIS, like we talk about this all the time as we're building this out, failure is part of that process, right? And whenever you're trying to do a continuous pen test where you're going through and then um, saying, we're not trying to break in in a month. We're now trying to break in over the course of six months to a year. There's a lot more failure that is built into that system that has to be built into that system. And your mm-hmm. standard pen test is not like built into that type of attack profile that like the Russians would do or the United States government would do. So, yeah. you know, and getting back to, you know, Vinny's approach, you know, I understand where he's coming from. I disagree. Because you can't have every single pen test execute like a red team where they're going to spend six months trying to get in. You should insert your tester into certain points to speed up that overall process. Doing, you know, adversarial emulation like Carrie is talking about in her class to try to speed that process up. And kind of using Vinny's approach and kind of what he's talked about is similar, once again, Back in the days when vulnerability scanners came out, there were absolutely pen testers back then that would say, I don't use any vulnerability scans at all. I do everything bespoke and I do it by hand. It's like saying, I don't use a steam engine I'm or a steam shovel. I'm just going to use this pickaxe to go through this mountain. <laughs> you know, it, 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 these things have to evolve. And I think that we, knowing the weaknesses in our attack methodology, it becomes ever so more important for us to try to find ways to short circuit that process to get to the true vulnerabilities, not just exploits, but as Carrie was talking about post-exploitation techniques as well. Yeah, I, I really like the uh, medical sort of metaphor that I tend to lean on quite a bit when talking to customers and, and on this show and other places. If you went, yes, you can go to the doctor and ask them to find out every single thing that is wrong with you, right? You can ask, you know, am I genetically predispositioned for, you know, balding? Am I, do, do I have high blood pressure? What, you know, there's a million different things that could, oh, my, my neck sometimes clicks if I look a certain direction. And, you know, when I crouch down, it hurts my knees. Like the doctor can spend, you know, that's a 10K MRI. That's another, that's a seat. Let's throw a CT scan in there. Let's do lab work like four times. That's, you know, it's, it's again, this is exactly what penetration testing, you can ask for the works. You can, you can get, you know, the MRI, the CT scan, the genetic paneling and all that stuff. Or you can just go and be like, Hey, my arm is like bleeding everywhere. You know, can (laughs) you like, can you just fix my arm? Don't worry about the, you know, the, the vitals or all that kind of thing. So it's just like, you know, that, uh, that same metaphor. Yes, you can spend all the money in the world finding out every single possible thing that's wrong with you, but really the thing that's going to kill you first is the thing you need to be worried about the most. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, w- yeah. I wanted to re- Go ahead. talk about the topic of uh, pen-, pen test being re- replaced by attack emulation because it comes up a lot and definitely it doesn't. And there's obvious places where attack emulation falls short. So any of your initial access vectors, so you're not going to get an attack emulation to do a believable fish for you or that's targeted for your company. So that's a good example of that. You're not going to get an attack emulation to be able to notice something obvious like that your home webpage has the admin password posted 
on the title of it or something like that. So there's obvious things that humans are always going to do better at. But uh, one thing that attack emulation where it shines is for repetitive things. So let's say you want to know if you would detect an internal password spray. You could have your pen tester do that. But then a week goes by, a month goes by, and you're wondering, does it still, am I still protected against that? Is there something in my environment that's broken since we last test this? And you don't want to be using that valuable human pen test team to say, you know, laugh and say, do it again, like a little kid, like do it again, ha, do it again, ha. And that's where attack emulation is especially valuable is for continuous validation. So you can literally be validating every single week through attack emulation that your hundreds of uh, preventions and detections are working and you can have it do it over and over again, that mindless work that you really don't want to be um, having your high paid pen test team having to do over and over again for you. Yeah. Cause honestly, you know, your, your high paid pen testing team, who I hope is Black Hills information security. Um, we don't want to find group policy preference files again, like ever, you know, there are certain vulnerabilities <laughs> that would be absolutely Corey's like, shut up, John. That's awesome. When we find that. Um, but there's a lot of things like for years before people started getting into this, we would find the same vulnerabilities in organizations again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And it gets it gets boring and we have to still document it. And that takes time. We really want to focus on the fun, interesting, novel, new things that are very specific to your precious snowflake of an environment. And I, I just love the idea, Carrie, that idea of once you find a technique, can we take it off the board for a number of organizations across the entire IT space? That would be just fantastic in that as well. There's a uh, a couple items that I wanted to, to add into that that are that are not necessarily technical, but there's there's one I love what Carrie said about the the checking the controls because I've become a big believer in that concept of like security chaos engineering. We should yeah. always be testing these controls to make sure they work right. But the two things are commoditization and practice, right? So you were talking about like, hey, you know, the, you, these things move on. These we get this, G, you know, Chat GPT, API, AI, whatever it is, right? We see this everywhere. It doesn't just have to be security. It doesn't have to be anything. Anytime we have a highly advanced technology, and we'll we'll use security as the example. Years ago, you had SourceFire, and here's an IPS IDS platform, and it's hardware, and you put it in the rack. And uh, somebody back here, uh, yeah, Tony Hunt said this. You know, some of the enterprise testing hardware has kind of disappeared rather than been emulated. And that's true uh, because, yeah, it's been commoditized. It's been taken from a, a, an entire system to it is a software license on your Cisco device or it is this or is that and it collapsed down. And now everyone comes in with those table stakes. But the reason I'm not worried is because of practice. Any role or job that is created because of a practice and not a task, penetration testing, surgeon, etc., the methods change, the surgeries change, the tools change, the diseases change, whatever it is, but you are a practice, just like pen testing. So all of that will be augmented, made better, and then the attackers will get better too, and we're never going to go away because of that. It's a practice, not a job. Yep. I like that. That's Speak good. Speak for yourself. I plan on replacing myself with AI by... 2030 so um <laughs> no you forgot you got to get cj to hire the ai and then you get two paychecks there don't you tell, go don't talk about that make, publicly you can that's, make that's... royalties off of your ai there you go <laughs> so i want to i want to go through a story before we close out and i kind of want to get your opinion on it like 
the level of technical wizardry, this is an Ars Technical article, uh, Ryan, hackers can steal cryptographic keys by video recording power LEDs 60 feet away. What has Jake been up to? (laughs) Right. I, uh, you know, I've read this a couple of times, and it's fascinating research, amazing stuff uh, done by um, uh, Minerva, right? Like, just, just fantastic. You all... You should be very proud. It's absolutely amazing research. I just do not know why I should care. So wait, what is it? Give us the backstory. Give so us the basically, you can record the LEDs and the way that they blink. It's a type of key leaking side channel attack uh, by looking at the brightness fluctuations of an LED on a, like a phone or some, some type of device that has it. So it's basically the loading... The, the light is tied to the data in uh, some way and they can reverse engineer that basically like the it's yeah. deterministic I, the light I, flashing is in a deterministic way now right here stop brian um oh bring it back it says in minerva's case the device hosting the smart card reader had to be compromised for the researchers to collect precise enough measurements hertz bleed which is a great name for this by the way it's play mm-hmm. on heart bleed didn't rely on compromised device, instead took 18 days of constant interaction with the vulnerable device to recover the private psych key to attack many other side channels, such as the one in World War II encrypted teletype terminal. Attackers must have specialized and expensive equipment to get this. It's just like, like Tony just said, it's, it, I think yeah, it's like well, a version of Tempest. And, so, okay, it's mm, extremely mm. cool. And it is, it is. But John, here's the, here's the reason why it matters. Now we can get our customers to patch and change the default creds on their security cameras. Or I can't remember who I think Roger said, or I have a little patch of black electrical tape. Right. Uh, well, so this is a this, this is a this is if you are building a device, the, the moral of the story is always just put a fake LED that just turns on and doesn't do anything. Because mm. if it yeah. wasn't connected to anything, it wouldn't be having this problem. You put a fake LED on there that just drink, uh, blinks in Morse code, drink your Ovaltine. Exactly. Over and over and they're like, we have we've we've spent 18 days recovering the private key, and it says drink your Ovaltine, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quit my job. Right. And, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> this is one of those things. Once again, hats off to all the academic researchers that did this at Minerva. Fantastic job to all of you. But there's a reason why like academia tends to get ignored in the security community, right? And it's things like this that's just like they put a lot of effort into it. Once again, brilliant effort. But it's just like, come on. Like, I, and, and I know I'm going to have an executive that's going to call me up and they're going to want a sales call with BHIS. They're like, we're really, really worried about this Hertz bleed vulnerability um, that's out there. Like, this is, we saw this on, on Ars Technica. It seems like an absolutely terrifying thing. Can you come in and pen test it for us? And it's just like, tell me, are you using two factor authentication on all of your like authentication portals? No. Focus on that before you start freaking out about LED lights. On yeah, this is, yeah. to use a medical analogy, this is the 3% chance that you get cancer at age 70. Like, it's just, like, yeah. not that. This is, like, if this kills you, you had you did pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in looking at this article, right, and it, it's smart card readers specifically that they're looking at. And yeah. when I think smart card reader, I think either the cat cards for the military. So to be fair, if I was military dod and a skiff i might be interested in this maybe 
There's a security camera in there that has a live stream on the internet. No, 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 no. <laughs> but but at the doors because the cat cards are a common access card, and they're often also uh, either either swipe or a a dip for door areas, right? So if you could get into a like I said, passing interest at best. But I think but actually, those aren't smart cards, right? Those are probably hid or something else. Uh, I don't, you know. No, I thought they were. I thought they were cat cards. I thought they yeah. were like. I, I thought it was any type of device that yeah. took that. But but they did test it on just one specific card, yeah. I believe. One. It was also an external card reader. So yeah, right, exactly. That right. So it's an external card reader. This is where I'm going with this. This is going to be very interesting for some some DoD NSA the tailored access operations folks that have got crazy requirements. You know, also the electrical engineers that built this thing, they're going to go back at Lockheed Martin's missile fire systems and whatnot and say, hey, wherever we've got LEDs, we might want to control power flow better. We might want to have it separate from the processor so you don't get those fluctuations. They're going to start baking that stuff in. So that's fantastic research. But John's 100% right. Those are like the two use cases and they're crazy multi-billion dollar use cases. That it's just really sad that the blinky lights betrayed us. <laughs> The blinky this light is the best part of every computer. That's uh, right. The RGB that? is Why who is RGB? That? <laughs> who was that character on uh, the IT crowd who just stood in the server room? He was a goth guy and he just watched the servers blink and he was yeah. like, watch it. It goes blink, blink. And then he goes, now it's going to go blink, blink, blink. And it does blink, blink, <laughs> blink. And he goes, wait for it. It's going to blink again. And then it goes blink. And that's, that's, that's what I kind of envisioned. That is like, this attack. Yes. But I will attack. say there are, there are cool applications of this. Like the example they give is that you can plug in a speaker or another device that has a power LED to another device and potentially use it to derive the cryptographic key. So like, there, you know, there could be a case where like I'm stationed outside the door. Okay. Plug in the USB Bluetooth speaker. Okay. Now train the webcam on the USB Bluetooth speaker. Like it could actually allow additional attacks on certain really specific devices, but yeah, I don't know. You know this is, or, or the attackers will just go and clone the cards at the nearest Applebee's. It's going to be wait, one of those two things. But wait, isn't this what, isn't this like, this is what I would do if I was rich, right? Just like spend money on cool hacks that I've not. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> what what can we steal from your nano leaf lights? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you, they're actually, yeah, the process indicates my current mood. So you can see why it's flashing. I think, I think Corey just that. described me. <laughs> if I had money, I would just have a company where I have a bunch of people breaking into stuff, like and I can read their reports. Huh. Yeah, no, no, I was going to say that with this type of technology, it's like it—it it just harkens back. We've been here before. And we're probably going to be here again. I think about um, you know, when we had like the the laser microphones, and you go, oh, okay, well, you can listen in on somebody's conversation. If they point a microphone at the the window, they can listen in on uh, executives. Or I guess you know, I, I was thinking the same thing with restaurants. It's like, or you just Follow them out to lunch or at the bar where they're just going to spill <laughs> the beans anyway. Is there, or you have executives, you know, forwarding emails to their Gmail account, their personal so, account, and you go, right. okay, so you're worried about laser microphones when you have all this that you need to. So uh, yeah, so, but everyone looks okay, so, at. So years ago, when I was doing ICDOD stuff, right at the facility that we were at, um, I think the controlling document for physical security was the JFAN six three. And they were, we were actually worried about people bouncing lasers off of the, uh, off of the glass. So one of the buildings that was built, they actually had it. So the airflow specifically hit the windows 
to cause it to vibrate, to basically, you know, diffuse the sound waves that you could pick up with a laser beam on glass in the skiff. The other one that we did that I thought was really, really cool is a lot of people don't know, but a speaker is actually a microphone. And you have a number of speakers inside of classified facilities where they can make announcements to the entire building. Uh, think of it as like a fire alarm. Uh, you know, there's all everybody proceed to the nearest exit. That is something that microphone is usually in an unclassed place all the way through the entire building. And you can actually hook into where those speakers are going. And then you can actually listen in to what speakers say coming on. So we had to install a bunch of stuff that that would basically create a buffer in between those speakers. So that signal is kind of like a diode. The signal couldn't go back uh, towards the amplifier. My point is this stuff was fun. When I was doing it, I had an absolute blast doing it. Um, but there were many, many times that we would sit around and talk to each other and be like, there's no way the Russians or the Chinese are ever going to use these attack tactics uh, to get this data. Because ultimately, what they do do, and this is something that did happen in a skiff that we were de decommissioning, is uh, we were hired in to go and decommission this uh, secure facility, and there was no classified, and it was just an empty building, and we needed to make sure that it was no classified left in the building at all. And uh, while we were doing a sweep of the building, we found a router that was plugged into the classified network, a wireless router. Oh, wow. So this particular facility never did war walking. It was so much easier to do that than it was to try to bounce a laser off of glass or like try to record LED lights. Well, and just to, to let's drive home the point here and give real world proof of this. On Thursday, a federal grand jury indicted Jack Tigzera, the leaker from, you know, the Air Force. Um, he's charged with things, bad things. A lot of bad things. He posted uh, dozens yeah. of documents on Discord. And oh, it wasn't. No, he did. And it okay. wasn't a laser mic. And it nope. wasn't. It uh, wasn't an LED. It wasn't attack. an LED. It wasn't. Uh, you know, it wasn't even that advanced. So he's just printing them out and taking pictures of them or whatever. So, but yeah, yeah. And so, then, uh, I, my, uh, oh, go ahead, Jerry. I remember my sister-in-law when I got into pen testing. She was uh, being skeptical of whether I could hack something or not. So she's like, "What?" So, so do you think you, do you think you could break into my Facebook account? And so I told her yes. And so then that night I called up my brother and I said, this will be hilarious if you give me her password to Facebook. And so he gave me her password and then I posted something on her account and she freaked out so bad. And she's like, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? How'd you do that? And so then finally I tell her, Oh, I just asked Lance to give me your password. Told him it would be funny. And she said, "That's cheating." I said, "Hey, no, that, that's, that's the welcome job." Welcome to pen testing. I mean, that's, yeah. that's red that teaming. That's literally my job. You just do it the easiest way, and that counts. Yeah, I um, I, I, I can only imagine what like the holidays are like at the Roberts household. You know, with like you and Darren. One of these days, I got to make it out there and uh, like be the crazy uncle that shows up around the table. So, because um, that sounds like a lot of fun. All right, everybody, let's go ahead and let's wrap this up. I want to say thank you very much to everybody for showing up. Um, as always, this is brought to you by Black Hills Information Security and Anti-Siphon Security Training. Um, if you're looking for affordable training with like some of the best instructors like on the planet, 
check out anti-siphon and it's affordable. So I think that that's pretty cool. And BHIS, we have SOC services, IR services, um, continuous pen testing services. Uh, basically, we're here. We're your one-stop shop for all your hacking and anti-hacking needs. So with that, Ryan, bring on the crooked finger. I, I don't let my cats in because they've uh, they have figured out that if they stand on the power button for eight seconds, they can immediately get my attention. That's impressive uh, trolling from a cat. Yeah. <laughs>